Today, for the new moon, we're going to be talking about passionate relationships, sex, and the Enneagram. Hi, it's your host, Cheryl Sitz, welcoming you to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. We broadcast these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, other popular podcast platforms, and youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz. And we'll be chatting with certified Enneagram practitioner and author Ann Gad in just a moment. I want to let you know first, Mario and I continue our full moon drumming circles. We'd love for you to join us for our next one, February 8th in downtown Conroe at Bean Punk Coffee. All of these will be listed on journeyofpossibilities.com slash events. And you can check out Mario's work with Astro Fractals at astrofractals.com. And we're going to be incorporating those into some sound work pretty soon. So lots of exciting stuff going on in the area. Stay tuned for that. Now for today's guest. Ann Gad is an IEQ-9 certified Enneagram practitioner, author, holistic therapist, workshop facilitator, and journalist. She shares years of studying the Enneagram and beginner to advanced level workshops. Her website is angad.co.za. And while you're there, check out the 21 books she's written. She joins us today from Cape Town, South Africa, to discuss her latest publication through Inner Traditions and Bear Publishing. It's called Sex and the Enneagram. Welcome, Anne. Hello. Hello, Hi. everyone. Thank you for joining us. I understand you're on the mend from, from uh, the same kind of sickness stuff that's traveling around the globe. So I'm glad that you were able to connect with us today so we could talk about this wonderful topic. Thank you. Well, trust me, I'm glad as well that I'm well enough to be here. Really? Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And I'd like to start by kind of getting a little bit of backfill story about you, because it's interesting to me how people find their way into these various holistic practices. How did you find your way to working with the Enneagram? I started off more in the art field, and then I became a um, holistic practitioner, uh, particularly with Reiki and um, something called photology. And I was kind of like a workshop junkie. I mean, any workshop that happened, hey, I was there. <laughs> um, always searching, looking, looking, looking. And then I came across the Enneagrams. My brother gave me this book and I mistyped myself, which is quite common, and thought, oh, just another personality profiling system, not interested. And threw the book back in disgust. And then I got hold of another book and I typed my husband. I mean, so accurate. I was hysterical with laughter because, I mean, things like his man cave and, <laughs> and, and, and conversations and things were just so accurate. I thought, wow, there's got to be something to this. And then I revisited it. And then I became fascinated. And, you know, I found myself literally in my type. And then it, it started becoming really real for me. And it offered not just the personality profiling system, because let's face it, there are lots of those, but it offered me, a, I think Russ Hudson uses the words passage to power. It offered me my own unique insight into how I as an individual could grow, what I could do to really face sides of myself I didn't necessarily know about or want to know about and how I could integrate those and transcend those. So it became a fascinating journey of maybe 15 years, I guess, 
Um, and then I, I had been teaching other workshops on chakras and Reiki and various things. And then I started teaching some Enneagram workshops. And every time I did, I came away having learned more and more from the people I was teaching and gaining a deeper and deeper insight um, into the Enneagrams, which incidentally Enya means nine and gram like a diagram or logo. And that's really where it all started from. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued by your story, and I picked up some of that from reading your book. But what really intrigues me is the parallel, because that sounds like some of my journey, only I purposefully, because you advised against it, didn't go into typing my boyfriend. I was like, okay, I want to figure out what type I am. And I came across the Enneagram years ago with a practitioner here in the States, and the practitioner resonated with me, but not the Enneagram. And so when I saw your book, I thought, here's a great opportunity for me to figure out which type I am. And my journey has been largely a sexual healing one. So I thought, this is a perfect opportunity to merge those two together. However, my experience was that I, 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 I finally went online and took some quizzes because in, in reading the book, I saw myself in all of them. And I was like, well, this is ridiculous. So I took different quizzes, Enneagram quizzes, and I, I'm like five different types. And it's not the type with the type on either side. It's like five different types. So I'm really kind of confused by it. And I hoped that you could share some wisdom that would help point me in a direction where I could get more benefit from it. Essentially, we are all of the types. I mean, that's the journey. So I would equate it, look, I know rainbow's only got seven colors, but I would equate it to a rainbow journey where ultimately a rainbow is white light and then it goes through a prism and divides itself into all these beautiful colors. Those different colors represent different Enneagram types, if you like. So, but essentially um, we are all every number. It's just that through nature or nurture, we specifically identify with a particular type. And then to go further into that, you would have your type and then the numbers on either side of your type that may or may not influence you, those are called wings. And then you'd also have the type, um, some people call it the point of stretch and release, but it's the lines um, if you look at the Enneagram diagram, the actual lines that people move al along. So a three moves to six, six moves to nine, nine moves to three or the other way around. So if you just take that into account, you've essentially got five numbers that you could identify with. But one of them would be your specific type. So with that said, the type that resonated the most with me, what I saw was the qualities that I like the least about myself in that type. And I tend to be very hard on myself. So I thought, well, this is bound to be it. But one of the things that tapped me on the shoulder as I was reading through it is a lot of what shows up for me through that type is who I became as a result of sexual abuse in my childhood. So is that a thing that you've seen before where people duck into a type because it's a safe place for them to hide and it's maybe not my innate type, but it's the type that I became? Or how would you address that situation? I would agree because I think, you know, in, in I don't know if you've heard of, I'm sure you have Jahari's window. So that's the four aspects of the window. The one is the part that everyone sees about us and knows about us. The other part is what 
other people see about us, but we don't see. The other part is what we know about ourselves, but other people don't see. And the fourth part of the window is what is unknown both to ourselves and to other people. And I think it's very common that we, all of us, create a sort of idealized self of whom we would like to be or believe ourselves to be. And I think through the work of the Enneagram, it's like peeling back layers of the, an onion and you gradually get to the core of actually who it is. And it's most specifically not about the characteristics, but being able to look at your core wounding because it's from there that you can start healing. So based on that, what I'm feeling for myself would be to start with that type that is who I became as a result of the wound. And as I move yes. through that, I will then uncover the next layer of what my true type is. And I can work within that framework. Is that how you would move forward with someone? You know, um, Russ Hudson, who's the, um, you know, he's written numerous books on the Enneagram. He said something in a workshop, which I relate to. He said, take the number that you currently most resonate with and work with that. And I myself at one point was completely convinced I was a seven and it didn't, it was actually good for me because I really came to know and understand sevens. And as I dug deeper and as I got to know sevens more and more, I realized that, yes, I have many seven trays, but essentially I'm not a seven. Mm -hmm. So I don't regret that time because it brought me many insights and much growth. And, um, you know, it, it, so it, I think we get very fixated on what is our type. <laughs> and maybe it would, it, it's better to look at all the types. And gradually we, we'll find, you know, it's, it's, it's like some people find themselves straight away. But I've so often had people at workshops who convince they're a particular type and they're very rigid about being quite sure that they're that type. And by the end of the workshop, have said, oh my goodness, I realized for the past five years, I've completely mistyped myself because as I've come to understand the type more, I've realized that that actual fact, it's not me. Um, so I, I, think, I think it's a journey. I, th I think some people get themselves straight away and for other people it takes longer and there's no right or wrong either way. And I think one also has to look, which not much has been written about it, but if you divide the Enneagrams into um, essentially the um, triads of the, the gut or instinctual triad, you are very present. It's very much in the now. And then you look at the fear triad or the thinking triad. And then you look at the shame triad or the feeling triad. Mm. Um, we all have one type that's strongest in each of those triads. So that is another way you might not be that type, but you might actually feel like a two, for instance, you might think like a five and you might be an eight, for instance. I knew this conversation was going to be beneficial for everyone because you've covered some really great tips for all of us to help to type ourselves, and given us full permission that if we mistype ourselves, we're still going to find growth there. So there, there's no wasted time, no wasted effort. That's a really great reassurance. Thank you. You know, I think also, um, you know, the one number I didn't want to be. I mean, trust me, I didn't want to be this number. I was convinced myself I couldn't possibly be this number because I'm a nine. And when I learned about the nines, all I saw was that their wounding was laziness or sloth. 
And I thought, come on, because now it's about 24 books, I think, and I'm also an artist, so 5,000 plus paintings. I mean, that cannot be a lazy person. I mean, wow. come on, you know. So I didn't want to be that because I, I didn't I didn't get nines and I didn't get that the laziness was more a laziness to show up to, for yourself. I saw it as a, a practical laziness, someone who sat around on the couch and watched TV and didn't do anything. And so I didn't want to be that person and I was convinced I wasn't. So I can tell you it was a massive shock the day I realized oh my goodness, this is me, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a journey. This is fabulous conversation. And thank you for being so authentic with us so that we all feel a little more comfortable in the unknown. Because isn't that just the basic human characteristic that holds us back in everything is, oh, but it's uncomfortable over there, because I don't know where I fit and who I am and what to do with that information. Yeah, because we we want to, as I say, we want to live up to the idealized version of who we've grown up with and believe ourselves to be. And so when we have to face other aspects of ourselves that maybe give our egos a bit of a whack, <laughs> that's when it becomes really hard work, exciting yes. work, dynamic work, and it'll get you where you it'll how can I put it so it'll it'll allow you consciousness perhaps faster than many things I know, but it's hard work. It's not easy facing those aspects of yourself. Yes. And it probably sounds silly that I would jump off into this around sex, which is our most intimate, raw space. But for me, I feel like that's where it would be the clearest. And and it is, and yet it isn't. Well, maybe this would make more sense for listeners and to me if you would kind of review the, the different Enneagram types briefly for us. All right. Would you like me to do it in relation to sex or just in terms of the different types? Oh, let's let's talk about sex. That's what we promised. So let's let's go ahead and stay with sex. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, a quick whip round. So we start off with um, type one. Uh, type ones are very black and white. So what I mean by that is it's either right or wrong. So they're seeking perfection, and unfortunately, it's their view of perfection, which sometimes clashes with someone else's view of perfection. Um, so it can make them critical, particularly of themselves, but also of others, as they strive to be good citizens. So what does this mean in the bedroom? It means in the bedroom that sex or sexual presence can be destroyed or destroyed, perhaps a bit harsher word, but there could be a problem with sexual presence because things aren't perfect. So you're just going to have this massively wonderful orgasmic sex with your partner. And as a one, you walk into the room and, oh my goodness, he or she left their clothes on the floor. Not good. And so all my focus and attention goes on to what's not right. And it moves away from sex and my sexual presence. So if I look at type two, type twos have this belief that they know what their lover wants. So it becomes all about the other person. They're very giving, they're very helpful, they're very nurturing, um, can lead to being a little bit busybody at times, um, but they're, they're the, the sort of earth mother, if you like. Um, what happens in the bedroom, though, uh, if, if, if they're not completely integrated? Well, it all becomes about, I know what you need, and thinking all about the other person, well, that's imbalanced because 
actually sex is about both people's needs. And so a helpful thing for twos is to acknowledge their own needs because sometimes they don't even realize that they have them. What? Me? Needs? No. So, um, and learning to allow their partners to give to them, not always wanting to be in control and give to the partner. So then we could look at type threes. Type threes are success driven. Um, they want to be in the limelight. They want people to admire them. So they're very, um, often very brand conscious. They're often actresses, um, PR people possibly, um, things like that where, where they can, can, can get the attention they so desperately want. But what people don't see about threes is in creating this outer persona, it's really tried to hide this inner sense of self that feels lacking and empty, and I'm not good enough. So I have to be, I have to do in order to be. What happens in sex with this attitude would be, I feel I need to perform. Hey, look at me, five orgasms, yay, you know, aren't I amazing? Um, and it becomes, sex becomes like a performance as opposed to when threes are healed as a truly authentic expression of their love. Then moving on to fours. Fours are the archetypal artists of the world, musicians, they love the lovers of beauty, um, they're very sensitive souls. They always feel as if something is missing though. So in any relationship, they look for what's not there rather than what is there. There's a sense of melancholiness about them as if in feeling this innate sense of pain is the only way I can truly get in touch with my feelings. So pain, melancholiness, sadness becomes beauty in itself. What happens sexually then is that there can be such an experience of what I'm not getting from this relationship rather than what I am getting. And this feeling that everyone else has it better than me, as if I'm not special enough. And then we look at fives. Fives are intensely cerebral types. So knowledge is power. And we must remember that they're also fear types. So basically, the more they know, the safer they feel. But of course, what does that do when we live in our heads? Uh, we disconnect from our hearts. And so sexually, fives can overthink sex. They can plan it. They can research it. Um, I think I say in the book, if there was um, a lecture on the fundamentals of sex and the opportunity of actual sex, a lot of fives would think, mm, maybe I should go to the lecture to find out more, you know. With fives also, there's a fear that their partners might demand too much of them. And so they tend to, like tortoises, stick their head out of the shell, engage, and then quickly want to retreat. So it can be hard for a five to maintain a relationship because it just feels too overwhelming. Um, sexually, to heal, they would need to be able to connect on a deeper level with their heart, not just their heads. And also to be more allowing and to work with this fear that everyone, there isn't enough in the world to go around and everyone, every partner is going to try to take it all from me. So I have to hold on to the little there is. 
Sixes are the loyal types. They're very security conscious, and so they are commonly um, described as scanning the horizon for what could or couldn't go wrong. So what happens with a six in a relationship is they're looking for somebody who, like them, is committed and loyal. Um, they tend to like being in teams or groups because it makes them feel safer. So if you're in a relationship with a six, they want you to work with them. We as a team against the world. But of course, with this fear of what could go wrong, sixes, particularly in the early stages of relationships, might be fearing, oh my goodness, is a condom going to break? Am I going to lose my erection? Am I not going to be able to orgasm? And it, it, it becomes such an overwhelming fear of what could go wrong that it may even inhibit them from having sex. Then we reach the sevens. Sevens are joyful, fun, upbeat, um, always on the go, always planning the next best thing. So they're very future orientated and they're very charismatic, um, can be fairly self-focused. Uh, but if you want to have a good party, you invite your, you know, your seven of choice because they're going to arrive. It's going to be a lot of fun. Trouble is sexually. Um, sevens are not thinking or really enjoying the sex they're having because even while they're having that sex, they're either thinking about emails or alternatively, the next sex they're going to have. Oh, the sex is great, but the next time I have sex, I want to ra da da, you know. So they never enjoy being present with what is happening, and part of their healing is to learn to be with what is as opposed to projecting into the future. Eights are your strong, assertive, I want to be the boss types. Um, and when an eight walks into a room, you know they've walk, walked into a room. You can feel their energy. You can feel their strength. They want you to literally walk into the fire with them. They want you to, to meet you head on. They're lusty. They go after what they want with passion. Trouble is, this energy can be so overwhelming that a partner may retreat because it just becomes impossible to meet that eight. And that's very frustrating for an eight because they, 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 they enjoy confrontation. They enjoy the excitement of sex. And if you're moving backwards away from them, um, either physically or emotionally, very frustrating. What eights can do to heal is to access that vulnerable side of themselves that they tend to mask and not want to show because it's there that they truly can connect with another. And then we get to our nines, our nice nines. So nines are very easygoing, very accepting. They're daydreaming. They hate conflict of any kind. They're merging, so they tend to merge with partners or groups of people um, and lose their sense of self. They're the classic fence sitters because if they have an opinion, it might be the wrong opinion. So rather than have an opinion, they just don't have one because that's the safest place to be. But to a partner, it can feel as if the nine is is there but not there, as if, as if they, they're in a relationship with somebody who's kind of left the room. And that can be very frustrating. Um, so what nines need to learn 
is that their needs are equally important as the needs of their partner and that they need to learn to be able to voice their sexual needs and to say, actually, that doesn't make me feel comfortable or actually, I really would enjoy this. In other words, to show up and be present and not disappear into some daydream. And that's the nine types. And of course, I heard myself in all of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what can I say? (laughs) That's funny. But there are more tendencies than others. So I guess the question that comes up for me next to discuss would be, and thank you for sharing those, by the way. So do we tend to pick someone either with whom we can be stay disabled in our type when they're in theirs so that we don't have to deal with our stuff or purposefully go and find somebody that's the type that's going to pull us out into our stuff? How does that play out in the way that we choose partnerships? Um, Typically, not a huge amount of research has been done on this, but I'm quoting from the little research that has been done and from my own experience. And fours are the only types who really... Um, who are more likely to be in relationship together because they can kind of feel this deep inner connection and wounding and beauty and all that stuff that other people just don't get. Um, But there are more common relationships like uh, an eight woman very often you'll find with a nine man or a six woman is more often with an eight man. So we, we, and you often find three sixes, nines tend to play with each other around the, you know, around the inner triangle. Um, there are more common connections than others because we tend to want to be in a relationship with somebody who either has our wing or who has the number we integrate or disintegrate to. There's normally some connection, but not always. Um, you know, my husband's a five and, and, and there's no connection there as such. Um, but we still get each other. That's interesting. So I know that I've purposefully, and I've moved in and out of the partnership that I'm in now, which happens to be with the show's producer and founder and co-creator. And we've moved in and out of this at the very foundation. We are the most fabulous best friends imaginable. But then there's this other element that plays. And part of it is my own stuff that I'm working through. And part of it is I'll talk myself out of the relationship because it, it takes me into all my uncomfortable spaces. And then I'll go, well, I'm not comfortable with that either. Let's let's tiptoe back together. And so we're in this very interesting thing because it seems like he touches on all the spaces where I have invitation to heal those wounds. Do you see that a lot in, in couples that are trying to overcome traumas in the way that they choose relationships? And, and what's, what do you have to say about that? There's the old saying that says um, opposites attract. And I think it's very true in the Enneagram. So you, I mean, you find that the whole time. So let's take a joyful, fun-loving, spontaneous, um, risk-taking seven and put them together with the number that they move towards, which is a, a one. And one's being, you've got to do it right. You know, um, <laughs> there's no such thing as being late. And you put the two of them, to, I mean, Hey, sit back and I mean, sit back and watch the show because it's, <laughs> it's going to be exciting. <laughs> and you see this the whole time that that I find that they that they that they they're very distinct opposites that I can find between various types in relationships, and that's 
what both excites, but it's also what causes friction. And it's also what we're here to learn because we learn from that polarity. So let me just take, um, for instance, a type two and a type eight. If you look at the Enneagram, you'll, you'll see that the, the, there is a line that connects them. So eight, strong, forceful, you know, my way or the highway kind of person. And two, loving, nurturing, caring. The line between them is very important. So what we could say is that twos who embody love and nine, eights who embody courage or power, there's no true love without power and there's no true power that doesn't manifest in love. So if you look at that as a couple, you can see that in a way they're mirroring aspects of the journey they need to take. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And it's ironic because at least, and, and through the spiritual healing journey that I've been on for the last decade, I think I've shifted as much as I can consciously into not trying to change my partner, but seeing the opportunities to grow for myself and to, to love my partner for who he is. But, you know, it's interesting that when we're younger, we do, we pick our opposite and then we spend so much time and energy trying to change that person and it just destroys uh, us, the love, everything. Why do you think we do that and then change into so wanting something else for us? Is that just the normal maturing process? I see it as more than that. I see it as that we're attracted. If our partner represents what we feel we aren't, in other words, what is tucked away in our shadow selves, we're automatically attracted to that shadow self because we want to bring it on some level, maybe not consciously, but we want to bring it into the light. So when we're attracted to somebody who definitely has characteristics that aren't like ours, I think prior to the Enneagram, we want everyone to be the same way we are because the world would be a much better place if everyone thought the way we did. Post-Enneagram, you can have an enormous amount of compassion for that person because not only can you access the part of yourself that they represent and that which you've hidden away in your shadow self. But you can also have compassion for their journey because you know their wounding. You know what pushes their buttons. You know what keeps them awake at night as you do your own issues. And so then instead of becoming a judgmental thing and trying to make them like you, you can reach a far greater level of acceptance. Well, that at least has been my understanding and my journey, if you like. I love that. That's so true. Well, how about for you? What inspired you to go into sexuality and intimate connection with the Enneagram? Have you seen, not to get too personal here, but have you experienced your own intimate growth through doing this work? Is that what inspired it? I always subscribe to the idea that we teach most what we need to learn. And so when I wrote the first book, The um, Enneagram of Eating, it wasn't because I was skinny and, you know, I had been, but I wasn't anymore. It was because I, in that book, I wanted to understand why I had gained weight. What was the thinking that took the skinny person and made them less so later on in life? When I came to Sex and the Enneagrams, I realized that I had issues that needed healing. 
And so in writing the book, it was almost a cathartic process myself because I understood woundings of all the types as well as my own. And I understood aspects of myself and others that perhaps I hadn't wanted to face. And so it was as much my healing journey as I hope it to be a healing journey for those who read the book. Uh, yes, and it is. And this conversation with you, I, I hoped it would, and it has for me sent me back to the book because I purposefully interview authors on topics I either already connect with or want to connect more deeply with. And I feel called to this. So having spoken with you about this, I feel more things opening up for myself to be able to go in and at least have a starting place and then move to another type. And all growth is good growth, right? So how could I possibly waste my time with this? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that's what I say. Don't get too hung up on your type. Read all of the types. You'll get there. You'll, you'll Something will just click one day and you'll find that type. Also, look, I must admit, I, 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 I'm a little bit of a cheat because there are s certain physical characteristics which would guide me into um, being able to feel that a person might possibly be a certain type. It's not foolproof and it's not always accurate. But I have found that there are a number of physical characteristics in each type that identify that type for me. So if I'm to be fairly flippant, I'll say um, five men in particular normally wear glasses because they've spent so many hours researching stuff. Um, they ha might have certain habits like they enjoy bird watching. Um, they might be iconoclast, so when it comes to Valentine's Day, they're going to say it's a load of commercial rubbish, um, not being brought into this capitalist system, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's certain things people say and there's certain looks about certain people, which are also clues. That's interesting. Well, if you'll take a moment, would you tell us just a couple about each? I think this would be a fun little activity, if you don't mind. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, exonerate myself here by saying <laughs> exonerate myself here by saying that this is an unproven science. <laughs> These are just my observations, <laughs> but I noticed that ones can particularly be they tend to be um, thinner, more wiry. Um, they often have like thinner lips, um, more perhaps even. Um, penetrating stares as they look you up and down to assess you. Twos, I tend to find, have more voluptuous features. Men particularly don't seem to age. They're those good-looking soap opera kind of guys who just, they could be 70 and they, they really don't look that old. Um, as I said, generalizations, guys. Threes, you can usually identify with their confidence, um, the way they blend into a surrounding. So they call them the chameleons of the world. So if a three is selling stuff to a bunch of executives, they'll be dressed like the executives, but put them in a different scenario, say with a bunch of surfers, and they'll look like the ultra surfer. Um, Fours, you, you, I mean, anyone with a pink streak in their hair is telling me something that, hey, this could possibly be a four. They tend to love lots of tattoos. That doesn't mean everyone with the tattoos are four, but 
it body art tends to be important for a four. Um, they tend to be the hipsters of the world, so they they dress differently, but then all hipsters tend to dress the same. Uh, they're much more pernickety about their food and diet and stuff, um, and they they want to look different. They feel they were born at the wrong into the wrong household, and they want to identify um, the fact that they're different from the rest of us. Fives tend to have absolutely little or no interest in the way they dress, particularly if they don't have a strong forewing. So they'll put on whatever happens to be lying around. Um, they can put on weight simply because they're eating last night's pizza or they don't give a huge amount of attention to their bodies because it's all about the mind. Or on the other hand, they can be, as I say, quite thin, gaunt, um, thick glasses, uh, not a huge amount of emphasis on their hair or the shirt they're wearing or anything because to them it's irrelevant. Sixes um, perhaps can be the most different of all of the types. You get a six that's very androgynous, depending on if they're social, sexual or self-preservation. Um, and sixes can both be overweight or they can be skinny in a, in a fight. Hey, I'm big, don't mess with me way or flight, I've got to be lean and thin to get away from the danger. Um, sevens are the gourmands of the world, so they can tend to be overweight, um, and they, but they have a wonderful joie de vivre about them. So you can often pick up the way they, the center of attention, the part, you know, when they, when they walk into a room, um, and they're great raconteurs, so that often identifies them. Eights, as I say, have an incredible physical strong presence. Don't mess with me. I've I've arrived, so now I'm in charge. And that you can very, very tangibly. And it's a body language as well that's very solid, very grounded, often have big chests, even the women. And nines often have sleepy-like eyes, you know, the sort of bits that hang down over your eye. Um, it's as if they're half asleep already, and I can say that because I'm a nine. And they, um, they, they, not all nines, but a lot of them tend to sort of have this lumbering walk. You know, they're sort of a bit slower than everyone else in getting there because they're just lumbering around and just enjoying everything um, with loads of pets and animals because they tend to to enjoy that. We're laughing over here. I had to turn the microphone off because we're laughing. We're having such a good time listening to you. And I'm pointing at him and he's looking at me with those eyes every once in a while like, yeah, we see ourselves in some of those. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thank you for doing that. And and yes, I agree with you. That's kind of to be taken with a grain of salt. But it's funny how oftentimes we fit some of these generalizations. So it's fun to toss them out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. And and as I say, it's it's... It does give me, if I'm doing a workshop, it gives me a kind of feeling for the room. So I'm not going to say you are that. I'd never do that. But it just gives me a feeling for we've got a lot of four energy here or we've got a lot of nine energy going down or whatever. So that um, because there's a different way that you can possibly uh, address different types of people. So twos are going to want to sit and have tea and find out all about the kids and what's going down. Eights are going to want you to talk straight to them. Like get rid of the you know of the nonsense. Let's go straight to the kill. So it lets you see um, which approach might work better for each person. 
That's delightful. Yes, I can see how that would be handy. Well, I would not be forgiven by some of the audience if I didn't ask the most obvious question here, which is, which type is the best lover? We're here to talk about sex, right? So who's the best lover? I said I was a nine, didn't I? Okay, the nine. <laughs> no, just a joke. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. Oh, um, but you know, it depends. It depends what you want. You know, if you want somebody who's going to be a sensual, pleasing lover, you're going to head for a two. If you want somebody who's intense and like a wound-up spring, you're going to go for a five. If you want somebody who's chilled and pleasing and happy to merge with you, you're going to look at a nine. You know, so each type, if you want exciting, fun, you're going to look for a seven. You know, each type has, thankfully, um, benefits to them which may or may not appeal to you. And what inevitably happens is you read all these books in the Enneagram and you think, right, this is the type I'm after. Uh, this is definitely the one that I think is the guy or girl. And then you end up actually falling madly in love with somebody who's completely the opposite type. <laughs> oh, you're familiar with my story here, right? <laughs> hey, what did I say? <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's how we kicked things off was we were friends and I said, no, you're not my type. And what I've come to understand about myself, whether probably it's the Enneagram or whatever conversation we're having is if the relationship history kind of looks like a train wreck, maybe it's time to pick a new type. And so for me to shift and allow myself to open up to a different type than the one I've been falling for over time and recasting, if you will, that's when the real healing work started for me. Not that there was anything wrong with those other relationships, but they weren't taking me into my growth and and so I think there's a lot to be said for that. Well, I think we tend to move into our comfort zones, don't we? So we, they, they say that we recreate the relationship that our parents had in our adult life if we haven't done a lot of work on ourselves, not because it necessarily was a brilliant relationship, but because in some way we gain some sort of comfort from familiarity. Yes. So that is why I think, yes, what you're saying is absolutely right. It's sometimes good to move to a completely different type because although the other type, we know all their quirks and that feels safe and familiar. Um, maybe we push ourselves more by moving to a different type. Yes. And I can attest to that. And, and, and I'm sure Mario would have a lot to say about that too, but that, he'll have to say that for his own show. <laughs> I'll call him afterwards. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that'll level up the playing field. And while yeah. I'm saying that real quickly, he is going to start to do a few podcasts on this feed with some guests that he meets that he wants to interview. So listen up for those too. I've gone to two a month and in the future, Mario will also be offering some shows and some interviews. And we're excited about that because one thing that I've shared with him is how fun it is to open your voice and speak more. So now he wants to play with that more. So it, we do both grow from it if we're in a relationship where that's that's the emphasis I think and and it can be such a different kind of relationship and very deeply loving in its own right you know one of the many gifts of the Enneagram in a relationship is being able to say to you because disintegration is normally when we move to our unhealthy sides of ourselves it's normally unconscious but integration or when we move to our healthy sides of ourselves is conscious so if you're both familiar with 
with the Enneagrams and you, you are doing it with, and I say with definitely with love and compassion, you can say, hey, honey, I've noticed you've been slipping down that dark hole recently <laughs> and, and behaving in this way. Um, is that where you really want to be? And the minute someone sheds light on that behavior, you think, no, I don't want to be this blaming victim kind of person. No, no, no. Okay. And, and it, it allows you then to consciously make the decision to shift and move to the higher levels of yourself and, 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 and in doing so, uplift the whole level of the relationship. Absolutely. That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, it looks like we're about wound up for time again. This has flown by and I've enjoyed thoroughly connecting with you. Thank you again so much. And I'd like to ask if you have a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with today. I believe that relationships are here to allow us to grow. So sometimes they can be very hard and very difficult, but that's part of the process. And if we can use them and understand that our partners and our sex lives are mere mirrors for what's going on inside ourselves, it can be a very dynamic potential to grow in consciousness to, 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 to reach higher levels of our own being. Absolutely. What a beautiful parting thought. And if that doesn't make you want to read her book, I don't know what will. Again, we've been talking about sex and the Enneagram with Anne Gad. You can find her website where she's got all of her books listed at angad.co. What is the, the last two letters? Z-A. Can I also add another website? Yes. It's Enneagrams. So Enneagrams with an S. Nine, the numerical nine paths.com, Enneagrams nine paths.com. And that's specifically Enneagram, and you can sign up for my newsletter and read more about the books there. Perfect. We will definitely check that out. Thank you again so much for being with us, and thank you, listener, for joining us today. Let us know what you thought and show us a little love so we can keep bringing you the show. Journeyofpossibilities.com slash support. And we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.